Hello everyone, today's special guest is nutrition nerd Kate Richardson, licensed dietitian at Orlando Dietitian and host of the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. We talk keto, fasting, streamers, and much, much more about all things nutrition. This episode is for purely entertainment purposes and you should consult a licensed physician about any changes to your diet or health plan. Hello, this is Kate. Hey, Kate, it's Peter. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Peter? Uh, not too bad. I'm a little under the weather, but uh, I was kind of excited. Oh, no. I'm super excited to, to have you on. Um, so, just to, just so you know, I don't want to like throw you off guard. I have two other people with me that are on the show. My co-hosts, Ruthie and Josh, are with me today, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> um, Hi. <laughs> Hi, Ruthie. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was wondering because I was looking at your guys' as, hi, everybody. <laughs> I was looking at your podcast and reading. I was like, oh, there's more than just Peter. So, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's three of us. And um, I figured this would be a fun discussion just for all of us. Most of the questions are going to kind of uh, basically get your point of view and, and things when it comes to being a nutritionist. I, I for one. I can't mm-hmm. speak for, for Josh and Ruthie, but I, for one, growing up, I've been very interested in nutrition and the things that have changed, especially nowadays with social media and how crazy I feel like it's gotten um, as far, especially with social media and influencers and how things have, have gone, how popular it is. It wasn't like that for me. I'm 36, and for me growing up, it, we didn't have these resources, I felt like, you know, as a kid or as a teenager growing up. Right. Yeah. I mean, in the social media, it's everybody can position themselves as an expert on <laughs> practically anything. Yeah. And given right. recent circumstances, you know, with the virus going on, all of a sudden everyone's an expert on the virus. Right. So, coming from, from my perspective as a registered dietitian, <laughs> I see the same thing online. I'm like, man, you, you eat one way and you're an expert, <laughs> you know, so it does get a little bit overwhelming. Um, so before we dive, we're sort of diving right into it, but... Um, <laughs> Before we jump right into it, I kind of want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about um, Orlando Dietitian and your podcast, and then um, we're going to start uh, basically bombarding you with tons of questions, if that sounds good with you. <laughs> <laughs> Rapid fire. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, so like I, I said, I am a... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. No problem. I didn't know if you wanted me to, to dive right in right now and, and talk a little bit about what I do or... or... Okay, yeah, what? Uh, yeah, talk a little bit about what, what you do, and then give you. I'm gonna give you some time to talk about your podcast, which I actually listened to your first episode this week, and I kind of i I enjoyed it. I'm like, I'm probably gonna listen some more because being who I, what are my interests are when it comes to nutrition. So uh, I found it, I found it really interesting. So just wanted to give you a chance to talk about that too as well. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you listened to it. And if you ever have specific topics or ideas that you'd want to hear covered, I'm always looking for ideas. So yeah, but my podcast is called Nutrition Awareness, and it's named after the private practice I work with. Uh, we're called Nutrition Awareness. We are here in Orlando, Florida. And I am a partner at this private practice with another registered dietitian named Megan, who started it in 2011, I believe, when she lived in Texas. 
Uh, we are registered dietitian nutritionists, meaning we went to school, we have our degree in human nutrition, and we are licensed to practice in the state of Florida. So there's a big difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist. Essentially, anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. Hmm. I mean, there's no real certification behind that. There's no validity behind that title. But to become a registered dietitian, you have to go to a four-year university, apply for what is like a medical residency for dietitians. We call it our dietetic internship. And that is nine to 12 months of supervised practice. And then you have to pass a board exam and then you can be licensed to practice. So we are able to help people who have medical conditions or really inept nutrition needs. So we are able to help somebody who might have kidney disease all the way to someone who has diabetes. And then, of course, lifestyle clients who are looking to lose weight and sustain it, athletes, the whole gamut. It was really cool. And I thought it was funny in your first episode on how you explained on how to spell dietitian. I thought that was pretty funny how you were saying people will spell it with a C and you actually like laid it out. No, it's like T, not a C with tit. And I thought that was great. I thought that was really funny. Um, <laughs> whatever helps people remember right exactly and i was like you know what that does sound like there's a c in there whenever i think about it like how to spell it out but um thank you for spell check so you know that's like the greatest thing ever but um that's that's <laughs> awesome so i kind of want to get in we, we were messaging each other i was like i don't really know how to where to go with this episode but then i read your profile which i loved and i thought on your website and i was like you know what i was like this girl is a nerd, but she she's a nutrition nerd. You know, like that's how I immediately that what I got from you. So, um, can you dive in a little bit about growing up, or kind of like how you became so focused on nutrition, and how you sort of became this sort of, in my opinion, nutrition nerd? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah, I am a huge nerd because to you know, get your degree in nutrition and to understand it, you have to take chemistry classes, you have to take biology classes. And we always joke about it undergrad, you know, one, one hour we'll be in a cooking lab and we're making like tapioca pudding. And the next thing you're in organic chemistry, learning how to do all these crazy carbon monoxide chain reactions that <laughs> I can hardly remember now. So you do have to be a little bit of a nerd to make it through dietitian school. But it definitely started when I was in middle school. In fact, I was about 12 years old. And for some reason, my mom let me buy this book called The Secrets of Skinny Chicks. And in this book, it just tell, told the stories of women and how they maintained a slim physique. And it Classic. was all really restrictive <laughs> eating. Oh, my God, it's nauseating now <laughs> to think about. But I, I like, treated that thing like it was my Bible. You know, I was like, mm, church for me. And I'd read it, and these women were eating, like, less than 1,200 calories a day on top of doing over 60 minutes of cardio. They were restricting their diet from all the things that are delicious, like pasta and sugar and bread and potatoes, whatever. And they were separating their meals by, like, five or six hours. And reading it on paper, it was like, oh, okay, these are just simple rules I have to follow. And so I immediately started to implement that in my own life because I watched my mom go on diets. All of the celebrities I idolized were on diets. And when I'd read a magazine, all these people were, you know, talking about what they were eating. So I became obsessed to maybe an unhealthy degree, at least in that age. And I would try to restrict all these foods and I would be successful for a while. And then I would fail because who can really eat that way every single day for the rest of their life? pretty much nobody. And if these women in the books were saying they were, I have a strong hunch they were big fat liars. <laughs> so I kept going on and off these diets my whole life until 
finally I was just like, I'm so done. I'm so over this. And by then I had just kind of really screwed up my mentality around food. It was hard for me to just look at food like a normal person. I couldn't just eat a sandwich and move on with my life. It was like, oh my God, I just ate a sandwich. How many calories was that? Was that too many carbs? Do I really need cheese and avocado on it? You know, it just became an obsession and I couldn't even enjoy life at all. So I let go of that a little bit when I was in college because my point of focus became partying. <laughs> of course, it's college. Exactly. And I, I gained weight. I gained that freshman 15 and some. And that was just from drinking and eating and just enjoying life. But I felt pretty crappy about myself overall. And so my first instinct was to go back on a diet because that's just how my brain was wired. I mean, if you want to talk about nerdiness, how you eat and everything that you do in terms of what you cook, how you cook, where you eat your meals, how you see food, how you see yourself. I mean, that's your brain's pattern. It's a reactionary pattern that you really ingrain through repetitive behaviors. And when you're young, you're really impressionable. So the ways you see food and the way you treat food and how food plays a role in your life really becomes a part of your I mean, DNA, your neurological DNA as you get older. So I just reverted back to dieting because that's what I knew. I thought, oh, to lose weight, I'll just go back to that The Secrets of Skinny Chicks book. And, of course, it didn't work. I felt miserable. I felt horrible. I tried a bunch of things. And finally, you know, I w- it was kind of crazy because I was in dietitian school. I was studying to be a dietitian during all of this because throughout the years, I still always made, uh, maintained an interest in anatomy and biology and nutrition and chemistry. And I was like, I- it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks when I had finally just like blown my latest diet. I was like, what am I doing? I'm overcomplicating this. I'm making myself miserable. I'm not getting results. This freaking sucks. And I started to just go back to those simple eating principles that we all know to be true. Eat whole real food. Eat in the right portions. Don't eat too much. Don't eat too little so that you're hungry. Eat foods that come from nature most of the time. And don't restrict yourself. And slowly but surely, in the most unglamorous, unsexy way, my body started to do what I wanted it to. I was able to have more energy. I could go to the gym. I could walk around campus. I could study and stay up late studying for things. And I didn't feel like I needed a bunch of caffeine and sugar to get me through. And I started weight training. And that only accelerated my progress and my obsession. And I became a huge nerd when it came to fitness and muscle building and all of those things. And ever since, I've just been able to maintain a more neutral outlook with food. And and that's what I help people with now, with that mental gymnastics of training themselves to see food differently and nourish themselves correctly. I think that's like so awesome. Um, I'm in my early 30s, not quite as old as Pete. (laughs) um, I'm the oldest person uh, here. Yes, I am the oldest person here. Um, but I love how you're, uh, I, I didn't, uh, Pete was telling me about the podcast and I really want to check it out. Uh, cause I, I just love learning new things. And, uh, a couple of years I had to do like what you're talking about. I realized that it was how we see food is a big problem. Like as, mm-hmm. as people, like just as a society and like the habits that you have to break and stuff, the way you see foods and everything like that. So yeah, I totally wanted to check it out. Cause uh, after that and reading your, your bio and everything and stuff, I'm like, this girl gets it. She knows what she's talking about. I mean, like, obviously you have the training and you have the, the certification and everything and stuff like that. But I'm like, but she actually like gets it. Like it was a whole thing. So I totally appreciate that and stuff. Um, uh, but I guess cause, 
um, we don't always get to have a girl on the show. So for like a whole second, because <laughs> <laughs> we don't, um, for a whole second, I just want to pull it away. Like I can totally tell you, you get like super excited and you are nerdy and stuff. So like what other like nerdy things are you into? Um, like do you like <laughs> video games, TVs, movies and stuff like that? Um, and everything like what are you outside of the dietary and the fitness stuff, which by the way, when I started lifting, when I did, I became a huge lifting nerd. Lifting is so great. <laughs> you know what? Lifting and bodybuilding is the nerdiest thing you can do <laughs> in my opinion, because it's so, it's such a science, you know, and you kind of have to obsess over it a little bit uh, to, to see results. So I think anything related to fitness is nerdy in its own way because you, it takes oh, yeah. dedication. It takes an understanding of the human body and physiology and, of course, the mental. And I would say the other things that I'm really, really nerdy about would be just learning how to connect with people and human psychology and understanding why we do what we do. I'm fascinated mm-hmm. with intrinsic motivation and why people think the way they think and what causes them to behave in, in the ways that they do, because it's, I, I started seeing this from a food perspective. A really easy example would be, I think about my dad. My dad eats a meal and doesn't think about food until it's dinner time again. And he can just eat something healthy. He wants to eat healthy, but he doesn't think twice that he wants to have cake because it's a special occasion. He just kind of lives his life and he's always maintained a healthy attitude towards food and a healthy weight and just an overall healthy dude. Versus someone like me who was from a very young age obsessed with food and obsessed with how it made me feel and how it made me look. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, why, what is the difference between him and her? And then thinking about that from other or him and me and thinking about that from other perspectives in our life. And lately the thing I've been nerding out about is relationships and specifically monogamy and people who are like in polyamorous relationships and the psychology behind how those things all work and how modern civilization has shaped relationships and what we view as societal norms. So I've gotten really big into reading books by, have you ever heard of Christopher Ryan or Esther Perel? There are people that really challenge, you know, social norms and how we live our life now. So I'd say that's my latest nerd venture. That's, I mean, yeah. You're talking right at my alley. Like in college, I studied psychology and sociology. So I love studying people and things and like social dictums and stuff like that. So I don't want to like get on a tangent, but like you're talking and I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) Like (laughs) this is the kind of stuff that I nerd out about and stuff like that. Also, like really quick, like when you said like fitness is kind of nerdy, it's like its own nerd culture, though. Like you get the the shirts now Mm -hmm. that say like beast mode and then it's like what's your fitness playlist you know like it's all over social media it's a whole different brand and like yeah now that I'm saying it you're like it's kind of right though like they have their own hashtags for their own nerdum a little bit so I I agree with you yeah and you know what's fun too is you see a lot of people I I think the people that really really not always this is you can't always say this but there is a solid group of people who maybe grew up in adolescence feeling a little bit socially ostracized maybe they were a bit geeky and didn't quite fit in and then they found fitness and it was a great outlet to completely nerd out in a in a you know I I don't want to say socially acceptable way but in a way that's (laughs) almost glamorized now and so a lot of these people who are jacked I mean they are the nerdiest of all (laughs) it's true (laughs) for sure definitely I agree (laughs) it's fun Mm mm-hmm did we lose Josh? I don't know. Did we lose him? No, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, 
I didn't see your name. My, Sorry. My microphone was also muted. It's fine. Ah. Uh, so, hi, Kate. Can you hear me? Hey, Josh. What up? Hi. How's it going? Uh, I'm the third uh, <laughs> question uh, segue here. Uh, I have a question for you. So, you talk about diets in your biography on your website. Uh, what are the issues with diets and what is the best approach for people wanting an overall healthier food habit in terms of like people that may think that they're eating healthy, but they're not seeing the results that they expect to get? Yes, love this question. So diets, they have a lot of things in common, no matter if you're doing keto or if you're doing paleo or Whole30 or whatever it is, a lot of them are restricting certain types of food. And when people feel restricted, they often want to overeat that food that they are restricting. It's kind of like putting that food on a pedestal. So for many times, people are able to follow a really restrictive diet for a long time. doesn't matter which one it is, whether it's a really low-calorie diet or something that's restricting a food group. But then once they allow themselves to kind of break free from that diet, maybe once they start to loosen up a little bit and they let, – let's use a low-calorie diet for an example, someone that's eating a 1,200-calorie diet – Maybe they're able to do it for a few weeks and they see results and they feel really motivated and they're excited because they've started to lose weight. But then something happens like a birthday party and there's cake and they have this mental war with themselves like, oh, should I eat the cake? Should I count these in my calories? Should I do cardio tomorrow next morning to make up for it? And they convince themselves to have a piece of cake. And then that cake tastes really good because it's been restricted. It's been something they haven't allowed themselves to eat in so long. So they might go for another piece or maybe they'll go up for cookies. And it's harder for them to just stop at one piece of cake because it's been something that's been restricted outside their total caloric allowance for so long. And then the next day or immediately after, they're going to feel overwhelming senses of guilt or shame because they broke these arbitrary rules they set for themselves. And one of two things either happen here. They either restrict themselves even more to make up for the calories they ate, or they say, why bother? I'm a failure. I, did, I couldn't even stick to this. I ate this cake and now I feel like crap. Why even try? And then they go off the rails and eat worse than they did even from when the, they started the diet in the beginning and end up gaining the weight back and in many cases and then some. And the reason why this weight will come on in, in such a, with vengeance is how I usually describe it, is because several things happen from a metabolic standpoint once you start to rapidly lose weight from a restricted diet. The first thing that happens is your metabolism adjusts, meaning it slows down. Your body is really smart and it wants to keep you alive. So if you are used to eating about 2,000 calories and you immediately make this jump to eating 1,200 calories, your diet, your body kind of freaks out. It's like, oh, all of a sudden Josh isn't getting enough food. This is bad. I need to slow down to preserve energy because food is obviously scarce since all of a sudden Josh isn't eating 800 calories per usual. So your metabolism slows down. You start to feel tired because your body is purposely not pushing you to burn as much energy. All of these things change with your mood. You might feel irritable. And then on top of that, as your metabolism starts to slow down, your body starts sending you increased signals to eat, meaning you feel hungrier. So you've got these two opposing forces. You've got the slow metabolism and this drive to eat. So you can see that over time, that's just not sustainable. Your metabolism slow, you're burning less energy at rest, but you're hungrier. So eventually when you give in and you do go and eat that cake, not only are you eating a caloric surplus from your baseline anyway, but your metabolism is now slowed. So when you regain that weight, 
it's going to come back on stronger because your body's just not armed to metabolize all of those extra calories from whatever it is you choose to overeat. And so that's why so many diets just fail because your body is working against you. It doesn't want you to lose weight. It doesn't care how you look in a bikini. It doesn't care how you look in your pants or, you know, if you have, you know, six pack abs, it cares about keeping you alive. So it's going to do whatever it takes to get you to eat. And that's why restrictive dieting and fad dieting just is not sustainable for the majority of the population. Well, that's right. A, okay. Mm-hmm. So hold on. I have a follow-up, I guess. Yeah. What about, what do you say, could it be a positive, could dieting be a positive thing if the person is able to maintain it? Will the body eventually adjust mm-hmm. in a way that is beneficial for the person? Oh, like yeah, if the absolutely. person, if, a per, if the why... person has enough willpower is what I mean to push through it. Oh Yeah. Good question. I love that question. I like to um, sort of get people off the, the the willpower thought, right? Because willpower is based on feeling, at least from my perspective. You wake up and you feel like doing it. That's awesome. That's great. But sometimes you're not going to feel like doing it. And willpower is finite. It doesn't last forever. What works for most people, if they are trying to lose weight and maintain it, is taking that really unsexy, slow and steady approach. So let's go back to the example. Let's say we have our person here um, and he's eating 2000 calories a day and he wants to lose weight. Well, we want to create a caloric deficit in a way that isn't dramatic, that doesn't freak the body out and that the metabolism can adjust accordingly. So instead of cutting out 800 calories, let's start by cutting out 250 a day and giving some flexibility where it's more of a, a scale where, you know, on days where our person, let's call him Todd, Todd is really, really active he can eat a little bit more than that, you know, 1750. And on days where he's a bit lazy, he just cuts back his portion closer to that 1750. And the metabolism will adjust. So he can increase his training. He can change his training style. He can play with his diet and constantly keep it changing from high calorie to low calorie, depending on his activity levels, to maintain that weight loss. But it, it would be a lot more difficult to maintain a weight loss if it was extremely drastic and required a lot of restriction because, like I said, the body's going to work against you if you shock it. So doing something that works more for your body and for your goals and for your lifestyle and eating in a way that nourishes you and makes you feel full and makes it easy to control how much you're eating is the best bet. And that's going to be different for everybody, what that looks like. There is no cookie cutter one diet fits all. It's really based on that person's lifestyle, goals, needs, dietary preferences, et cetera. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's super interesting. This kind of goes into my next question. I know I mentioned to you in our communication that I was pretty much full mm-hmm. blown keto, and I actually I did it for almost, about, almost a year because I started in March of last year, and I recently mm-hmm. ended it. Kind of like what you touched on was it wasn't that it became hard for me. And I didn't look at it as a diet. I looked at it as more like a lifestyle change. And um, mm-hmm. and I, I just wanted to be overall a little bit healthier. And so what what I did was eventually I just like, – because my wife's not keto. My kids aren't keto. And it just was kind of a pain on the lifestyle of our family. Mm-hmm. God bless my wife. You know, she would cook spaghetti squash for me when it was pasta night. She would, you know, cook – um, cauliflower rice for me when she was making uh, burritos. So she was very supportive. But after a while, just it was I wasn't happy. And then I just went to the approach of a little bit of carbs here, a little bit of fat here won't kill me. You know, just try to stay away from sugar and not be so, I guess, nerdy about it. But that being said, with keto, 
Um, what do you? Why do you think it's so popular now? Like it seems like that is the thing that like, it seems like every ten years there's this thing. I remember growing up the Atkins diet. Like everyone's talking about the Atkins diet, but now it's like everyone's talking about keto. And I kind of want to think, what do you think about the popularity of it? And like kind of like why it's it's just out there. Like, everybody's talking about it and doing it. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I love this question, and I am not anti-keto in the least, and the reason being, there are some people who like just thrive on keto. It's definitely a slim major- uh, minority. Most people, like you're saying, it doesn't really fit their lifestyle. It's not something they can do forever and ever, but it is really a good option for somebody who maybe doesn't have a family. I find that with my clients, it's the males who do not have kids who do not have a family and who don't really care about food that much, don't really associate fun and social outings with food that tend to thrive on keto the most. The only thing that I sometimes hesitate outside of the sustainability and the practicality of keto for people is the lack of long-term studies that we have on overall cardiovascular health. So for most people I recommend who really are dead set on keto, it's something they want to do, I say, all right, you know what? I respect anybody that wants a challenge. There are a lot of amazing things you can learn from trying different patterns of eating. If you want to see how eating a high-fat, moderate-protein diet affects your appetite and affects your cravings, affects your energy, go for it. Set a goal. Do it for 12 weeks. But know that maybe it's not going to be something that you want to stick with forever. If you can't imagine yourself eating this way for six months down the road, Don't expect to eat this way six months down the road. Use it as an experiment. Play detective with your diet. Say, how does eating this way make me feel? How does it make me react? How does it change my mindset about food? What can I learn about myself and my body from eating this way? And take that, you know, take that evidence. Take all of that stuff that you find from trying an extreme diet like keto and implement that into a more sustainable eating plan for you. So maybe you lose a lot of weight from keto. You find that you really enjoy higher fat meals. You feel like you have more energy. You don't have the need to snack. You don't feel as, you know, weighed down and you don't get that sugar hangover that maybe you were getting before. Well, when you transition out of keto and go into a more sustainable eating plan, incorporate higher fat meals. Don't restrict carbohydrates like you were before, but know that, okay, maybe eating a high fat, moderate protein breakfast does better for your schedule, does better for your energy levels than eating a bowl of oatmeal and fruit and orange juice and all of that stuff. So there's a lot that can be learned from experimenting with different diets. And same goes for, you know, a vegan diet. Why not try it for eight to 12 weeks? See how you feel, see what you learn and see if there are certain things you can take from trying those extreme diet patterns and putting that into your more sustainable eating plan. Yeah, no thanks. I'll stick to my I, – I can't give up my meat. I don't think I'll ever experiment <laughs> with vegan. No, um, but it's funny. I love how your answer to that and how you explain it because that's sort of – that's basically what I did over the years, um, struggling with like dad bod. You know, like that's basically what my struggle was. Like I've been skinny my most of my life, but as I got older, I just got fat in my chest and my stomach, and it was really frustrating. And the one thing yeah. that – the one thing that – sort of saw that for me was a being more active that was like the key. i think that's a huge key that people miss out on is that just because you diet you also need to do some activity along with that diet and now it's mm-hmm. once i put those two together keto really helped me and you know toning that section and then once i kind of felt happier about myself i kind of transitioned and this is where i want to get into also fasting um I, re- I hear so many things about fasting. It's another thing that's super popular that everyone's talking about. Um, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, 
you know, the, the popularity of fasting and uh, is that something that you may recommend? Is this something that uh, – is it just a fad? Kind of like what your take is on fasting, intermittent fasting. I'm sure, sorry. absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah, and before I even mention anything about the fasting, something you said uh, about the keto diet I wanted to bring up as well is if you look at the dietary patterns of our human ancestors, they were often phasing from higher carbohydrates to higher fat diets throughout the season. It just kind of depended on what food was available and what was in abundance and what was not. So the idea of eating keto intermittently or phasing those kinds of diets in and out of your lifestyle for certain amounts of time may not be a bad idea for some people. Eating keto for three to four months and then phasing off of it and then, you know, whenever you feel like you need to get back in that mindset or if the winter season's coming and you're maybe less active, well, then phasing that back <laughs> in, knowing that it's not going to be a, a long-term, you know, um, a diet for you. So I think there is a lot of validity in, in going on and off diets as long as you're not restricting to the point of metabolic damage and that has to do with overall caloric intake. And of course, you know, if you are insulin resistant and any kind of uh, abnormal hormonal panels that might be present. But to fasting, that goes in, that's a similar thing too, where there might be times in our ancestors' history where they weren't eating for long periods of time. And if we look at the studies on intermittent fasting and what that does for your health, they are by far positive. There aren't many negative effects to intermittent fasting, at least none that are proven by scientific data and, you know, uh, evidence-based nutrition studies. I find that fasting is a really helpful tool in the toolbox for a lot of people when it comes to specifically weight loss. Reason being, a lot of people who are overeating are doing so after dinner or they're doing, you know, after they've had their meals and after they've had a quote-unquote good day, I hear that a lot. People say, oh, I ate good today. I had a good day. And then they come home and after dinner, it's like all hell breaks loose in the pantry. So intermittent fasting can be a real tool for people to kind of cut off those times of the day when they are eating excess calories. And usually those excess calories are not coming from fruit and vegetables and lean proteins. They're coming from chips and candy and chocolate and ice cream. And once people kind of close the kitchen and they do that intermittent fasting, which I, I should probably explain for any listeners who are unfamiliar, intermittent fasting is just where you only eat for a certain window of hours in the day. So you might eat from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. And that right there would be the only time when you eat and then you just let your body fast the other hours of the day where you're not digesting any food. So that's what intermittent fasting is. So um, if somebody can cut off their eating window, then they can kind of see, okay, are there places in my day where I need to be eating more substantial food? That way I don't feel tempted to eat after dinner and I don't end up consuming more calories after dinner than I would have if I just ate a little bit more spread out throughout the day. This is a really great tool because a lot of times people will find that when they think they're eating good, they're actually just under fueling and they're not giving their body all the nutrients it needs to feel satisfied. And so their body is sending them these signals to consume the quick energy in the evening. And quick energy comes in the form of refined carbohydrates and sugar. So intermittent fasting, I think, is a great tool for people to stop over-consuming those lower-quality foods and to start looking at their diet as a whole and thinking, okay, how can I incorporate the right nutrients in the right portions in a certain hour of the day to help me control my snacking? There's a, I used to be worried when I started intermittent fasting because I was like, 
when I first started, I'd be so hungry. It was almost like, a, it wasn't even that physically I was hungry. It was just more like mentally. So like when lunchtime would come, I would just eat mm-hmm. so much. And I finally found yeah. a way to just, you know, I would eat enough. You talked about portions earlier. And when I get to lunchtime, cause I do, I only fast on days that I don't work out. Um, and that's usually mm-hmm. from like 8 PM to about 12 PM, um, 8 PM at night. I don't eat anything mm-hmm. until the next day. I have like black coffee. That's about it. Um, but some, when I first started doing it, it was just like, man, I would go get lunch and I would just eat so much food. But then after a while, I realized, <laughs> just portion it a little bit and see how you feel. And then, oh, I'm actually full. I don't need to eat more. So it was kind of like a struggle there. But it was a really interesting experience playing around with intermittent fasting. My wife's like, I can't do it. She's like, she won't even try yeah. it. She's like, I can't do that. So but it's kind of funny. <laughs> well, I love that you say it's like an experiment because it is. So many of us don't even think about our hunger. We don't even think about how we're feeling about food. And so when you start to change up the pattern of how you're eating and you start to shift around your portion sizes and pay attention to how that makes you feel, that can be really eye-opening. Some people might realize that they're eating too much and some people might realize they're not eating enough. And some people might realize they're eating too much of the wrong things and that's why they're feeling a certain way. So it's fun to play detective and just kind of experiment with different patterns of eating rather than calling it, oh, I'm going on a diet. It's like, no, I'm just experimenting with a new way of eating and seeing if there are any things I can learn about my body and what it needs and my hunger signals that are in line with my goals. And like you said, you know, at first you were probably really, really hungry because your body was used to being fed at those certain times, which caused you to want to overeat at lunch because you were like, oh my God, I need food. But the body's really smart and it can adjust. So, I mean, I want to ask you, did you notice that within, you know, a week or two's time, once you started to slow down, did those hunger signals start to slow down as well? Yeah, it's actually, um, it's just pretty normal now. Like even on days that I do work out in the mornings, I don't even really eat a whole lot even after that. It's like almost normal for me not Mm -hmm. to have breakfast. Um, Some days I will, you know, just because I'm just, uh, I feel weak after an intense workout or something like that, but um, it's almost so ingrained now in my in my daily routine that I just up. Oh, oh, it's only ten o'clock. I'm not even hungry. I didn't even have breakfast yet. So, it, it, it at first yeah. it wasn't like that. You know, at first it was like, oh my god, I'm so hungry. I'm not gonna make it. Um, but then once, yeah, once I started eating lunch at at around eleven or twelve, and I just slowed eased up in my portions and i realized that because that's another thing too is i you know i looked at portion control and and things like that and make sure that i don't overeat when i I feel that way and so then i realized oh i'm actually full if i eat this much i don't need to eat another you know thing of chicken i'm actually good with just one helping of chicken yeah so uh, that was another thing too was learning about portions and and things like that and then other foods that may curb your curb your appetite like i believe um nuts is another thing that i looked into that i would eat as a snack um, to help curb my appetite too. And so that's just that's some of the things that I, I like nerd out on and, ex- and experiment with. Oh yeah. I love it. It's so fun to just kind of pay attention to, okay, how do certain foods make you feel and how do they affect your energy and your mood? And when you look at it from that lens, it is less um, intimidating. Cause I think a lot of times the diets with all the rules, it can be intimidating, but instead just playing with your macronutrients and your portions, that is a way to show your body that you care about it and that you want it to be healthy without mentally, you know, making yourself feel restricted. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, I like how you, you kind of talked about how like people don't, and we talked about this earlier, but people don't really think about like food as like, I guess like as a fuel or like what it's doing. They're just, it's so habitual. So much of it, like, it's like, Oh, I'm used to eating at this time or eating this stuff. Or, you know, this is my go-to meal or anything like that. 
So I actually wanted to ask, because I like how you said that there is no, like, one answer for everybody across the board. Like, everybody's bodies are different. So um, because we deal with, like, a lot of nerds and things like that, have you ever had, like, any experience talking to, like, pro streamers, pro gamer, gamers, or just people that play, like, video games all the time, like, needing advice or recommendations? And I guess... Considering the kind of world that we live in with all the tech, I, I guess this could kind of extend to people that like literally sit at a desk all day. Like, I mean, that don't maybe get as much physical activity or, or have like food habits, I guess. Mm, this is a great question. From my knowledge, none of my clients, I, I do one-on-one -on -one clients. So all of my sessions are one-on-one -on -one with the individual, which is why I make it so personalized. And from my experience and understanding, none of them are professional gamers or streamers. A lot of them play video games. And what a lot of them tell me is when they get on at work and they're on their computer and they're answering emails and they're on calls and they're doing all these sedentary actions that are preoccupying their mind, they forget to eat or they're not thinking about eating or they're just eating at their desk while they're doing something or snacking mindlessly because they're stressed out or because they just have something available to them and, but they're in the zone with their work. And so they're not even taking the time to actually realize what this food tastes like or how they feel after or yeah. how it affects their energy or how it affects their performance. And so if I were to work with somebody who was a gamer or a streamer and I wanted to know, I'd want to first know, okay, what are your eating habits? Like when are you eating? Where are you eating? What's the environment in which you're eating? And then I'd like to help them evaluate, okay, what, what is your hunger? Are you eating because the clock is striking 12 and it's lunchtime? Or are you eating because your body is genuinely telling you it needs food? And then how mm -hmm. are you making your choices? Because that's how I approach it with people who are working an office job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Do you find that a lot of um, gamers are just mindlessly snacking while they're doing it or forgetting to eat? I think it's like give and take because I feel like from what I've noticed, like a lot of streamers, uh, here's my thing that I've noticed because um, I stream but only a little bit. But I've noticed other streamers, sometimes their streams will go like three or four hours or they'll do like something crazy like seven hour stream. And during the stream, usually because people are watching them or they're on a mic, they're not really trying to eat a whole lot. And so I guess like I'm almost like wondering like there has to be like some kind of crazy because I think – it depends. If you're talking a lot, you wouldn't eat a lot. But I know some people uh, that do desk jobs, they may – I've heard people that will just, like, snack constantly all day from, like, to stave the boredom and everything. And then you have gamers mm -hmm. that are on mic where they won't eat anything for, like, five or six hours. And then I can only imagine, do they get off stream and then constantly, like, consume a lot of, like, sugary stuff or, like, things that would affect their voice, like, crunching, munching, like, just, like, load up on everything because yeah. they're starving themselves. I don't know. Like, it's just all across the board. I just didn't know if you'd had any experience, though, because I, I feel like, like you said, there's no across the board for everybody, but it just, you know, fascinates me because I feel, like, especially, like I said, I used to be more of a lifting junkie. Like, physical activity, I feel, is, like, a huge thing our body needs um, to, like, balance mm -hmm. a lot of what we intake, so... Oh, a thousand percent. You know, I love I love this. I, I want to work with a gamer or a streamer now. Because <laughs> when I think about maybe like a workaholic person, somebody who gets really in the zone where they're going mm -hmm. from meeting to meeting or call to call and they're not eating for six or seven hours, it's not uncommon that when they do get the opportunity to eat, they just kind of woof down whatever looks and sounds good. And I tell people, I'm like, well, obviously you care about your craft. You care about your work. You care about your performance. 
So what you're eating should be something that's going to optimize your mental performance. It takes mental energy to think through things and to talk to people and perform as it, I'm sure it does in, in games. And when you're streaming, you have to be focused. You have to be on. You have to be a, a good performer. So you should fuel yourself with good foods that are going to give you the bright, right brain power. Oh, and a yeah, lot of well, times people, when they go all these times without eating, yeah. Yeah, no, and well, and my thing is, yeah. too, is people don't realize, like, also, if you are, like, eating or drinking during stream, what you consume can affect your vocal cords. So <laughs> you oh, also yeah. have to consider that. It's, like, all this weird stuff. Like, I'm just learning myself, but it's very funny. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, but I just didn't know if you'd had any experiences in that, so. <laughs> Not yet, but if anyone's listening and wants to be my gopher, then I'm going to be my, uh, what's the word? Guinea pig? Guinea pig. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a... Rodent. I'm a part of a group of uh, streamers on Discord. There's like 500 streamers. So if anyone's interested, I'd be like, "Hey, you know, if you're in if you're in Orlando and you're in Florida, check out Kate. She'll take care of you." Yeah. Yeah, and hey, no matter where they are, I'll do it virtually too. Let's have a chat. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. We're technology. <laughs> yeah, the age of technology. I was like, "Come on, Pete." <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're local anymore. <laughs> I think Josh had a question. Okay. No, nope, I'm <laughs> back again. I can't tell when my microphone gets muted because there's no cue. It's just a button. Um, <laughs> sorry, excuse me. So uh, the next question here for, for me is, what can you say about foods uh, and how they affect people based on their ethnicity? What do you think about DNA tests that they say that say they can provide information to people, uh, like what kind of foods affect them based on what their ethnic background is? I say don't worry about it. Why would you rely on a test to tell you what you need when your best tool is how your body reacts? I mean, how we, there's nothing that really shows how valid those tests are based on your ethnicity. So unless you have any kind of medical condition or blood panel or hormonal panel that dictates you should or shouldn't be eating some kind of food in any kind of amount, I would not even waste my time or money with those kinds of tests. Okay. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Uh, I feel... Like fitness and health is so popular now due to social media and everyone thinks that they know everything about health, especially, you know, it's really big in the Instagram community. Uh, what is it like for you as a licensed dietitian seeing all of this misinformation or being challenged by people who are not experts? Uh, oh. that, that That's my question there. So this came up in our I discussion. I just wanted to tell you because what this came up was I saw one of your Reddit discussions and you you went into like our keto or something. I'm not. I know this sounds weird, but I was doing research. I always research our guests, and I was looking at some of the things you posted on Reddit, and like you got attacked on our keto, and I was like, damn! Like they don't even know this woman's a <laughs> dietitian. They're like, oh, this is wrong. Blah blah blah. I was like, holy crap! And I was so I thought that was really interesting about how you went in there and kind of like how the communities can be a little, a little rough, and if you even try to you know throw something out there that may go against what they what they think that's kind of like where we were discussing this so yeah and not only that but yeah. it's like now nowadays every every time i pull up a youtube video it's like i get an ad for some health or diet plan or meal plan or workout plan and it's always the same thing click now so you can watch my 30 minute clip but it's them talking for 14 minutes about this 30-minute video that I have to watch, and I can just, just never get around. It just feels like extortion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's marketing and money, and people have found that the – well, I, I believe the diet industry itself is a 
billion dollar industry and it's only going to keep growing and growing. So people are for sure capitalizing on that, especially with digital ads. And so I, I forgot about that keto thread. Yeah, I think I had made a comment about um, excess protein consumption and everyone just mm-hmm. like shit on me. And I was like, you know what? This is why I don't go <laughs> yeah. on Reddit for these yeah. kinds yeah. of things. <laughs> I was like, fine. Um, but what I found is that there is no reason for me to um, get my blood pressure up and get fired up and participate in those kinds of conversations unless people are providing harmful information that could actually hurt someone's health. Then I would maybe step in. But here's where my my, my mindset goes. If somebody adopts a way of eating, and let's just use veganism as an example, because that culture of people who are really, really vocal about veganism, I mean, we've probably all seen it before. They live and die by it. They swear by it. They start to associate any kind of benefit in their life to this form of eating. And it's not everybody. It's definitely not every vegan, but they're a very vocal group about it. Just like on the keto side, there are very vocal people about that diet as well. They have found that this diet impacted their life in a positive way. And so they feel very passionate about it. And I I like to relate it to religion because if somebody adopts a religion or a spiritual practice that has impacted their health and well-being in a positive way, they want to share it with other people. They become very passionate about it and their intentions are good. They want other people to feel as good as they did. They said, hey, look, I have found this new way of eating. It has done this, this, and this for me. It can do it for you too. Here's what I did, blah, blah, blah. And it comes from a good place. I mean, people want to help other people. It feels nice to help Mm -hmm. other people and share what you've done to make them help. So fine. You know what? Let the people do that. But then I tell anyone who's reading that to take everything you read with a grain of salt. I don't care who it's coming from. Do some research behind it because a lot of people on the internet can pose as experts. They can use fancy unregulated terms that make them look like nutrition experts. And just because somebody did a certain diet and they found success from whatever kind of angle you're looking at from that diet does not make them a health expert and your individual health should be taken seriously. So you need to consult with a professional, whether it's a physician or a dietitian, if you are looking to go on some kind of drastic change, because just because it worked for that person doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And if they start shooting out information that might seem a little bit fishy or has, uh, you know, merit to be questioned, then be a smart consumer and look into it for yourself. Consult with an expert, do some extra research. Just don't believe everything that you read online. So when I read everything, I have to remember that, yeah, well, I'm an expert in nutrition because I have, a lot of experience and I have my degree and I'm licensed and I'm certified. I don't know every single thing and I have to actually know a person and get to understand a person's lifestyle, medical needs, goals, health before I can give them solid professional recommendations. So you need to really take in all things from account, be a smart consumer, be humble, don't let your ego get in the way and, and really make decisions based on what's going to suit you for the long term, and, and what's going to make you feel the best. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Speaking, um, I totally agree. Like, so uh, like, and I, I got it too. Like it comes from a good place. Like anytime I have a success or something that I like, I want to share it too. I think, but nowadays with social media, especially when you have things like Twitter or Instagram that can just like blow up and like you, you hear it and you like, and then you're like, Oh, well then this is exactly what I want to do because people, 
people, I don't care what you're doing with your life, but people want a better level of life usually. So if they see somebody else doing something that works, then they're like, hmm, maybe I should take this into account. So totally. Like, I just feel like social media can get out of hand, though, because like you said, people won't do research. Mm -hmm. They'll just take whatever so-and-so says is, you know, the thing. And and not all bodies are the same. So it's not going to work. And it can snowball. So definitely speaking of crazy stuff, I know you said like you'd have to look in and research and stuff, but I just want to know, like, what are some of the craziest things that you've, that you've heard regarding nutrition, whether people have like fought with you on it or not, but just like, what are some like the craziest nutritional things you've heard that people are like, this is the new thing, or like, this is the thing you need to do, or just like crazy antics they've, they've said. Oh God, well, I love that question because people, <laughs> like I said, when they start to feel passionate about a certain eating plan, they start to blame or contribute any kind of health outcome to that diet. So, mm-hmm. you know, a vegan might say, oh, you know, the coronavirus came from an animal. We shouldn't be eating animals, right? And then you see somebody who's eating a carnivore diet saying, oh, people are should not be eating plants. Plants are trying to attack you from the inside, blah, blah, blah. And so you see all that crazy stuff all the time, and people are just going to start to associate any kind of health outcome to that diet. Like, oh, he got heart disease at age 55 because he ate meat. When really it's like we can't chalk up someone's negative health outcome to one specific ideology. And so I see a lot of people making dramatic health claims. In fact, there is this guy named Dr. Mark Hyman, who I used to really respect. And now he's on Twitter and he's making tweets. And he made one the other day that said 75% of people are carbohydrate intolerant. That's literally all it said. And I'm like, that has to be one of the top five. Yeah. I'm like, what? And like, where, what, where is this coming from? What is the basis of this? Does he not understand? I mean, I know he understands that vegetables and fruits and lots of healthy foods contain carbohydrates. And what does he mean intolerant? Where did he get 75%? What does intolerant mean? It was just absurd. And so I see lots of things online like that. And people come in with, you know, um, to my office with questions like, well, I read that, you know, these foods are bad because so-and-so said this food's bad, but I'm eating all of these supplements and I'm taking all of these diet bars and diet pills, but I'm not eating fruit because so-and-so said fruit's bad. And I'm like, whoa, 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 back up here. You're taking a huge amount, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of supplements and diet products that are manufactured and processed. And you're saying that's healthier than eating a, a piece of fruit. I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, that's the kind of crazy stuff I hear. I'm like, let's go back to common sense here, right? Since when is a, powdered supplement with 12 to 15 ingredients healthier for you than a freaking apple you know so that's a lot of the crazy stuff that i hear all the time and yeah but there's sugar in apples and sugar is terrible for you (laughs) yeah Yeah. but this this atkins bar Atkins shake with you know all these artificial sugars that's health (laughs) yeah Um, I know we're, we're kind of winding down here. You've been gracious enough to be on with us for almost an hour now. So I'm going to kind of close it out here. Um, but I just, the reason why some of these questions came about, like with the social media and the stories that you hear, like this, I would imagine that if I was in your field and someone came to me and said like such and such drink, like there's these juice cleanse diets that I just, 
people swear by them and it just drives me crazy. Like, I don't understand how you can do that for a week and then be better after it. But I guess there's some validity to it. But I just imagine like you've got to be hearing all these crazy things that people believe in and they're coming to you. You know, you went to the school, you got certified, you did everything that you're supposed to do and you work in this field and people are just bringing you this like crazy BS that they're seeing from people on Instagram. And I just can imagine like being so frustrated by that, like how, um, irresponsible it is to to tell people like oh well if you just do this one thing it'll cure you or if you just do this this thing it's almost like anti-vax for me like it just drives me crazy and then then, so good on you for not getting really upset and getting your your blood pressure up on that though but um. (laughs) right yeah i try to look at it from a place of compassion because a lot of times people you know at least from the consumer i look at the consumer's situation from a place of compassion because as humans we want immediate gratification we want quick results we want things now and of course that problem has only gotten gotten more extreme with mm-hmm. the technological advances and uh, you know we all heard that before so i understand and i try to you know look, meet people halfway and say like i get why you wanted to buy this supplement or this fat burning pill or you wanted to do this juice cleanse because these people who are marketing them are freaking geniuses they know what they're doing they know how to market these things to you and they know how to make it seem like it's going to be the thing that finally cures all of your problems. But the truth is we've just got to be educated and we have to get real. Just like everything in our life that is worth having, any kind of job position, any kind of success, any kind of achievement, it's not a sexy, easy road. It takes hard work, it takes grit, and it takes failures, and it takes trying new things. But it's never going to be a quick fix. So if it seems too good to be true, don't buy into it. Don't do it. And I'm going to let those people out there who are marketing these things do their do their marketing technique, sell their quick supplements. But I feel like as a professional in the field and my colleagues, I know they all agree that we have to be the voice of reason and just kind of remind people like, hey, these things aren't validated. They're not regulated. You only see people boasting about results two weeks later. But what are they doing two months? down the road are they still on this juice cleanse are they able to sustain all of these results in the long run no you only see those before and after photos in seven or 14 days later right so just just take note that these things are not going to be your cure-all they're not going to fix anything you have to do the hard work you have to put it in over and over again there's never going to be any kind of diet or supplement or pill or quick fix that's going to trump hard work and consistency I love when you talk about the, the like the fourteen day change and things like that. I'm like shit, my body in the morning looks way different than it does at night. Like in the morning after, a, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, in the morning after a workout with no food yet, I'm like, like look at me now. But then at night, I look like I'm you know straight up dad bod before I go to bed. So it's like, I mean, if you did before and after, before I wake up in the morning after or after a workout in the morning to when I go to bed, like you'd think that you know maybe that was like a two week transformation, but no, that was like twelve hours. So. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's kind of frustrating for me. <laughs> and that's normal. Yeah, exactly. And then that's why I like when people do these body positivity things and they show and they show what what the truth is and things like. There's people that do these videos where they, this guy with a chugging soda and things. He's like a bodybuilder and shows what he looks like and you know about dehydrating and you know like how Instagram can kind of like. There's so many things about Instagram that I don't like and it just drives me crazy. That we can get into hopefully maybe mm-hmm. another time about body dysmorphia and things like that. But oh yeah. The social media aspect of fitness, I think, can really grind mm-hmm. my gears um, to a certain point. So um, it's really nice to get a refreshing, positive, and actually educated take on these things that we discussed today. Um, 
So that being said, we really don't have any more questions for you. Um, I did want to give you a chance to, is there any way if anyone wanted to reach out to you or contact you, like social media, email? And then I'll also put it in the description for the, this episode. Yeah. Instagram direct messaging is a really great way to get a hold of either me or my partner, Megan. We're both registered dietitians. And our Instagram handle is at nutrition.awareness. You can reach us on direct message. And then the link to our website is on our page. It's orlandodietitian.com. Um, dietitian, if anyone's wondering how it's spelled, <laughs> as we talked about in the beginning, is D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. It's got tit in there, if that helps anybody remember. Uh, I'll never forget now. Get a hold of this. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> My mission. My oh. mission is how people spell it. <laughs> Well, I got to say, I really didn't have a clue as to how this episode would go, but I think this was pretty awesome. It was really cool to have you on and discuss all these things. So, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on to talk with us today. Yeah, thank you, Kate. Thank you, definitely. Anytime. It was great meeting all of you guys. Yeah, you too. Me too. (laughs) Talk to you later. Take care. See you. Bye. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to Nerds Adulting, a podcast where grown-up nerds discuss being an adult and how nerd culture influenced us and still is. On this podcast, I invite special guests to discuss certain topics that include parenting, violent video games, television, movies, streamers, game developing, and anything else considered part of nerd culture. I've been a nerd my entire life, and even as an adult, I'm still vested in nerd culture, whether it be TV, movies, video games, or technology. I'm also a parent who unsurprisingly rubbed off on my children who are now developing their own nerdy interests as well. I love the aspects of nerd culture and how it intertwines with us now as adults. How do we juggle our hobbies along with being a husband or wife, our jobs, being a parent? This is what this podcast is about, how we still are nerds even as adults. You know, nerd culture is mainstream now. So when you use the word nerd derogatorily, it means you're the one that's out of the zeitgeist.